Hey everyone, it's Blake. Really quickly before we get started, just wanted to let you all know that I am going to be moving this weekend. I am sadly leaving the wonderful, beautiful city of San Francisco, but I am moving to a city that I also really love Phoenix, Arizona. So I will be doing that this weekend. Um, Because of the move and the logistics and not having internet turned on in my new place yet and this and that, there will not be a new episode coming out on Monday. So the next new episode will be coming out next Thursday, not on Monday, just because it would just be way too crazy and difficult to try to make that happen. So anyways, on to today's episode. The more you spend time with a person, you get to experience like you get to see that person more like a person and less like a stereotypical Italian or American or German or things like that or um, teacher or salesman or things like you don't divide people into those categories anymore. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. And in today's episode, we explore the path of participating in the Working Holiday Visa Program. If you would like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern. On that Patreon page, you can support the show by donating a monetary amount per episode, um, however much money you want to donate. And that helps Frank and I keep bringing episodes like this to all of you. So on to today's episode. Um, as I mentioned in a little blurb, I don't know if you you happen to read that that goes with the episode and I talk about it a little bit in the interview with UA as well. Um, uh, about a year ago or so, I was traveling with my wife and while we were traveling, I was just saying, man, it's just such a bummer that you can't really visit a place for longer. A travel visa only allows you to stay somewhere for a few months at the absolute maximum. And I was just thinking like, what kind of an experience could you have somewhere if you could stay there for a year or two years and like get a little job there or something? And I know that you can move to a country and get a job there if you get sponsored by a company that is willing to to do that for you. But let's say you just wanted to go to France and work in a cafe or something like that's obviously not going to work. A little cafe isn't going to sponsor your move to France. So uh, that was kind of my thought process. And then cut to about a month ago when Yue, I get an email from Yue who is from China and she listens to the show and she's like, hey, I wanted to just tell you about this program that I did called the Working Holiday Visa Program. I'm not sure if it's something that you think your listeners would be interested in. And I was like, that's so crazy because of this thing I was saying to my wife. And basically, it's exactly what I was telling my wife did not exist. Turns out does exist. And I've never heard of it. And as Yue was saying, like so many people that she runs into like do not know about it. She's like outside of the Working Holiday people that you meet like and nobody else like knows that this is a thing that exists for some reason so anyways basically you are able to live in a place for a year sometimes up to two or three years if you get it extended um, and it's sponsored by that country's government and you just get a job when you arrive there you don't even have to have a job already lined up Um, you can just get one when you get there and you can let's say go to france and work in a cafe if your 
your government has a partnership with that other country's government. So UA will go over all that kind of stuff. She'll um, talk to us about all the logistics of what countries are allowed to do what and who's about to do what, who's allowed to do what. And, uh, and she'll tell us about her experience being in New Zealand. And then this most recent experience signing up to go to Australia will be the next one that she does. And um, it's just such a cool thing. And UA was nice enough to actually put together an entire website for you guys that kind of goes over in detail some more of the information about it. So uh, if you have any questions left over afterwards, I'm going to put a link to the website that she put together um, on the Half Hour Intern site so you can go to her site and check out um, more details about this entire program. So without further ado, here is Working Holiday. Monica, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I was so interested when you wrote in and told me about this concept of a working holiday. And it's really apropos for someone like me to hear about and something I really wanted you to tell everyone else about. Um, whenever my wife and I will go on a vacation, particularly a longer vacation, I would always say things like, it's just such a bummer that, that you can only get a, like a tourist visa, like a visitor visa to go to different countries, which means that you can only stay there for three months. It would be so nice if you could go there longer, um, and maybe even like get a job there or something, but you know, you need to get sponsored by a big company to get some sort of worker's visa. And if you don't, you know, if you're just kind of traveling around and let's say you just want to work at a restaurant or just do some, some little sort of job, yeah. there's really no option for you. And then I got your email and I've, yeah. I've literally been saying this to my wife for years now, like, oh, yeah. it'd be so great if there That's was an option for people like that. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. It sounds like there is an option for the people like that. So tell us all about a, uh, a working holiday visa. Yeah, sure. A working holiday visa is basically um, just like what it sounds like. So it's a visa. It's kind of like a tourist visa. But the only difference is that you get to work in the country. And um, it says on its uh, Wikipedia page um, that a working holiday visa is basically just a residence permit allowing the travelers to undertake employment and sometimes study in the country issuing the visa to supplement their travel funds. So just like you had always dreamed for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So and the other thing that it sounded great for is it's longer than a typical travel visa. Well, typically, yeah. I guess every country is going to, if they have one of these working holiday uh, options, they're going to, you know, have different statutes and stipulations, which is to be expected. Mm -hmm. But like you did one in New Zealand. Tell us a little bit about that. How long were you able to stay there? Um, in terms of New Zealand, um, the one I got was a year and that is a typical length of time you're allowed to stay in a working holiday country well a country which is issuing a working holiday visa and um unless it is mistaken but it says on the wikipedia page of this visa that americans can stay there for two years or maybe that is um i don't know if that's up to date or entirely correct but um, but for me, as uh, for me as a Chinese citizen, it's a year, and actually, you can get extended this uh, visa length. So, if you work for uh, three months of seasonal work, which includes like fruit picking or fruit packing and things like that, you can extend the visa for another three months. Okay, cool. So, let's say you are really into 
surfing or let's say you were really more more apt i guess would be to say you're really into skiing or really into snowboarding and you want to go work in a place like japan at the Mm -hmm. like to help people with snowboarding classes or something like that that's Mm -hmm. obviously going to be a seasonal thing you can get those sorts of things extended if at the end of your quote-unquote season you're like man i really like this country and i really want to stay you you do have that option available to you yes seasonal work yeah yeah um and also with this extension it's kind of actually pretty flexible and um i've known people who've worked for a little less than three months or for um occupation or jobs a little bit less related to seasonal work but they all well it depends like it's not that rigid now what about if you're doing the not seasonal work, you're doing a regular one, like you had the one year one in, uh, in New Zealand at the end yeah. of your one year, are you able to get an extension or is it like you've been here long enough? That's it. Um, um, to get an extension, I have to do the seasonal work, which I didn't. So, um, even though I really wanted to stay longer, I couldn't. Yeah, I imagine at some point later in life now, though, if you wanted to get another one year visa in New Zealand, you could go back and do that again. Um, unfortunately, no. Oh, that's interesting. This is once in a lifetime thing. Okay. So that's like, um, so this thing is both really awesome and it's short and one off. So even if you applied for the visa, but didn't actually go into the country, like you didn't enter the country, you still won't be able to apply for another one. Okay, almost better off that way, I would say, because there's yeah. so many countries to explore in the world, and a year is a long time to spend in a place, so I guess it's probably yes, better definitely. off to kind of mm-hmm. for, force you to get out there and spread your wings if you want to do it some more. Yeah. Cool. And uh, there are actually 60 countries in the world that have this, this kind of working holiday visa scheme. But, Monica, you're always, uh, you're like, every next question I'm about to ask you, I love it. You're like one step ahead of me. You're just so smart. <laughs> Yeah, I got um, some notes prepared. <laughs> um, 60 countries, but unfortunately not. Like for Chinese, among those 60 countries, we can, we used to be able to only go to this one country, New Zealand. But this, uh, another country, which is Australia, actually. And uh, that country has just opened their working holiday scheme to Chinese citizens from starting from last year 2015 so now we have two countries available i feel so fortunate and special that i'm talking to you and that you're the one and also almost foolish that you're the one educating us about this um the majority of people listening to this are going to be people that live in america people that live in uh the uk and people that live in australia new zealand and so i imagine that we it sounds like we'll have many more opportunities than Mm -hmm. you have and yet we still have no idea about this program Yes, indeed. Um, but for uh, United States citizens, the countries available are Australia, Ireland, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Korea. Not that many as you'd imagine, because the thing is actually reciprocal. So you have to open the working holiday visa to the country you are allowed to, your, your citizens are in title to go oh, to. Oh, come on, oh. America. Let's get it together. <laughs> what the hell? That's terrible. So actually, um, as far as I uh, looked up on the Wikipedia page, well, actually, I haven't go through all of them, but it appears that people from Taiwan can go to 
a lot of countries. Well, relatively, uh, comparatively, much more than uh, the U.S. citizens and Chinese citizens. They can go to 14 countries. Oh, man. Taiwan's like top of my list. We got to get Taiwan <laughs> on this list for America soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. So interesting. Um, all right. So do you have to get a job before you get there? Like if you were to get a regular working visa um, with that visa, you would have to show like proof of employment before you got there. Is that the same way with this or you are able to go and then find a job when you arrive? Um, you don't have to have anything prepared or settled before you arrive. Um, like for me, take me as an example. I'm the ultimate non-prepared person like ever. I've never, um, went to anywhere and I've never worked in any jobs before I went to New Zealand and I just got there and well, get as much information as I can and try to, well, find any job I can. And so I did. How'd that work out for you, by the way? So, so talk about <laughs> arriving in New Zealand and trying to find a job. Well, to start with, I don't have a, like a frame of reference or any kind of expectation before I, before I arrived in New Zealand. Um, so like my expectation level is really low and that helps a lot when you, when you arrive in a like a total foreign country and I don't know what to expect. Keep your expectation low. And so I did. (laughs) Yeah, good advice Um, for life. Yeah. And get as much information before you go online, of course, as much as possible. And um, try to find at least one place to stay in before you figure out what to do next. Like for me, I first... I found a place to work for accommodation, and that was the first place I stayed in, and also the first place I managed to stay in without, you know, um, uh, spending a whole lot of money. So uh, I got the time to, like, figure out and get more information from that. Like, once I went into the country, I get more uh, access to information from there, and that is... um, it just buys me time working for accommodation. What's a, I'm sorry, a combination? What is that? Accommodation. Oh, accommodation. Got it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no problem. English, not standard. <laughs> no, your English is like amazing. So, um, so I, I, I meant to ask you that. Like when you arrived in New Zealand, what were your plans in terms of where you were going to stay? And I would imagine like that you would have to have a decent amount of money saved up to be able to do something like this because it can be really expensive um, to mm-hmm. go and just live in a place like New Zealand. Were you staying in hostels? Had you found yourself an apartment? What was the deal? Yeah, so um, like I mentioned, working for accommodation is actually you work for... Um, Normally, it's four to five hours. Some places, it's two to three hours a day. And you get to stay there, stay in the place, live there um, for free. So that's what I did. And that's how I bought myself a little bit more time to think about what to do next. That's amazing. Because I don't have to, yeah, because I don't have to work full time. And I don't have to find like a proper job right away. And in the meantime, I'm not spending a whole lot of money. That is so cool. So theoretically, mm-hmm. if someone wanted to do something like that, you were saying at some places it's as little as like two or three hours a day. So if you were to do um, work in an 
at a place that was accommodation based and get free accommodation from that working like two or three hours a day you could maybe go get another job working at a cafe let's say like four days a week working six or seven hours a day and that would be all of your money to live off of from the cafe meanwhile your rent is being totally paid for from the accommodation that's like not a bad setup yeah 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 that is exactly what a lot of people do and also did you of course, you remember uh, when you uh, interviewed that hostel owner, he mentioned um, some guy working there for accommodation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so that is a lot of well, that is um, a lot of the type of working for accommodation job you can get in New Zealand, too. But also you can get um, you can work in a farm or you can work in a um, uh, some kind of homestay or, well, mostly hostel type of places. So yeah, the idea of traveling and hostels and stuff like that is a very foreign concept to a lot of people in America because unfortunately we get so little vacation. So particularly something like like hostels and everything like for people um that grew up in europe and everything that's so much more of just a common concept so it sounds Mm -hmm. like uh in a place like new zealand maybe a place like australia some of these places that we could go with this program these things that you're talking about are probably more accepted in the society like if you were to just walk up to a farm here in america and be like hey Mm -hmm. like maybe i could work here a little bit and i could stay here they would look at you like you were a crazy person they would be like (laughs) get off my property what are you talking about <laughs> I, like but if it, it, this is just kind of more accepted in these other places yes no wonder well that explains why i have met so so few americans when i was in hostels <laughs> yeah totally it's yeah, a totally. it's a huge bummer let's uh let's talk a little bit more about your experience being in in new zealand so another major thing once you get to a new city is obviously transportation so i'm i'm picturing it like you arrive in the airport you go you're like little girl, big city, trying to find your job. You find your job, you have a place to stay, and now you want to get out and explore. Um, again, that's another thing that depending on your mode of transit can end up costing a lot of money um, to get transportation. So did you start to uh, like network and make friends that had cars and stuff? Or were you uh, just doing public transit everywhere to try to explore the area? Well, actually, in New Zealand, uh, their city scale, well, apart from the three or four big cities, the other cities or towns, should I say, are pretty pretty small. You can go have access to mostly all of the all of the major areas on foot. But if you want to go explore the surrounding towns or neighboring cities or whatever, you can always um, go on a bus if you don't have a car or you can hitchhike. Yes. Yeah. Never forget about hitchhiking. Good point. Yeah. That is the most awesome, awesome uh, mode of transport. Uh, <laughs> definitely. And you get to hear people's stories. You get to yeah. cross your fingers the whole time that you're not going to get murdered. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a good experience. Um, so tell us about kind of the, uh, I guess, the mental experience and the change in perspective that you get to get while 
doing one of these work holiday programs. Something that I find is that the longer that I'm traveling for and the longer that I get to spend in any particular country, kind of the more of a change in perspective I get. Um, I would imagine spending an entire year in a foreign country has got to be just an amazingly interesting experience, especially, especially knowing the entire time that you are going to be spending a year there. That's, I feel like that's got to just change everything from the first moment. Yes, totally. Like I'm the sort of person who feels like very sensitive to changes. And um, I don't even know where to start uh, with this topic. Like I write journal, I wrote journal and I'm still writing journal. I, I wrote journal daily in Chinese with like thousands of Chinese characters, which was really long. And I was not, um, it wasn't, it wasn't only like what I seen or what people have I met today or what have I done or what food have I ate. Um, it's more um, like intertwined with thoughts and sort of reflection and trying to make sense of what has been happening to me like all day. And while this whole year's experience is basically just... 365 entries of journal, which I don't even know where to start. You can suggest me like with a kind of question, a suggestion like, yeah, of course. This or that? First of all, Do I that. just want to say what a phenomenal idea that is to keep a daily journal while you're going <laughs> through such an extraordinary experience like that. That's, that's just really great advice. Yeah. And that actually writing a journal is sort of my way of making sense of things. Cause, um, before I went to New Zealand, I was like at home for almost the entirety of my life. I didn't actually go to school or anything. So a lot of things doesn't really make much, like they're really new and novel to me uh, when I went to New Zealand. Yeah, of course. And um, writing, writing them down and laying them like clearly in front of me is my way of making sense of things. And coming up with like a sort of a story or a theory to understand things and to understand all the different things of different ways of behavior, like from these hugely different people from all over the world. And that is really like too much of an information overload if I don't write journal. So yeah. that is kind of like a necessity for me. That's so great. I think the, um, the kind of productive western type a mindset would be like well why take the time to write in this journal when am i going to use that journal again like when when am i going to read it and and the answer is like it's not at all about reading the journal later on like you yeah, will you will probably never read that again and that's not a not that is not a problem at all that you're not going to read that again it's mm -hmm. it's writing it out in the first place just somehow makes you actually realize your thoughts and uh yes. like pen to paper really clears your mind out it's great yeah it's almost like mindfulness yeah like you're being mindful to what's been happening to you all day and you keep that like i keep but less like i would learn something from this journal writing process like i would keep that as a new thing that i've learned today and i will apply that sort of lesson in a few in the future like in the upcoming new events like i would have a new frame of understanding for the new things coming yeah that's wonderful um, yeah so in terms of i guess specific questions about your perspective and stuff like that I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll frame one like this so um my 
My first experience ever going to a quote-unquote third world country, I guess, if you want to call it that. I really wish that we had a term for like second world country or something because it, it <laughs> feels so strange there being like a first world country and a third world country and nothing in between, you know. But anyways, so my first experience with that was going to Thailand with my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend. And who actually, weeks later, I proposed to when we were in Laos as a little side note. Um, but uh, when we were in Thailand, Thailand, within a matter of about 48 hours, this concept of third world, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I think, become it becomes erased. Like you don't feel like you're in a third world place. Any of these things that were before quote unquote third world, like, oh, sometimes like the water's not quite working properly. A lot of times places don't have toilets, um, or whatever it is. It's just it just is the way that it is, you know? And then yeah, the yeah, the, totally. the lack of money that's around, um, again just is the way that it is you don't what like when you're walking by people on the street you don't feel like pity for them or and you know what i'm saying it's like this is just the way things are and everyone's getting by and it's totally okay and everyone seems perfectly happy um and maybe even more happy than a lot of people in america are and so i i remember that being a huge change in perspective for me of just um i guess realizing how deep down in our core like the same that we all are and in a similar experience that we're having here on this earth despite whether or not we're from a first world or a third world place so i don't know what like what type of area you live in in china i would imagine a country as big as china there's probably a large blend of like things from first to third world um Mm -hmm. but going to a place like new zealand which is basically strictly a first world country like Mm -hmm. what I, I guess, did you have any sort of like cultural or societal or social experiences like that? Uh, well, first of all, I didn't actually have a cultural shock because I was, like I said, I was at home for home the majority of my lifetime. So I was prepared to be shocked with even just go outside my home. Right. Like right. in China, I would get shocked, like cultural shock because I wasn't like used to living in a social environment. But, and so naturally, before I went to New Zealand, I was totally prepared to be shocked. So with that preparation in mind, I wasn't actually shocked at all. Like I was um, ready and I was like very mentally prepared to embrace all sorts of mentality and all sorts of behavior and all sorts of perspectives and everything. Like, and as time went on, like when I was in New Zealand, the best thing with working holiday is that you get to um, meet and spend time as or live and talk with a whole lot of people from all around the world, from all walks of life. And they have probably been doing so many different, widely, like hugely diverse occupation before the point they are now arriving in New Zealand doing this working holiday thing. Like they can be um, some university teacher or some kind of office, office worker. Is that called how you say it? Office worker. Yeah. Um, and they might be student or they might be very like unsatisfied or unhappy with their former life or, or whatever. Like you are there with so many different kinds of people bringing their different perspectives from, and of course, not only personal perspective, but also like implanted within their mentality as their cultural perspective. Yeah, of course. And and I guess as time passed by the sort of change 
if I can say change, like on top of the day-to-day change, the most more overall, like broader change of perspective of perspective or um, thinking that I experienced with that, like a lot of a uh, quote unquote impression I had for like this people from this country or that country or this place or that place or that doing this shop or that job or anything like those kind of impressions are actually just stereotypes. Like they're the image or they're the almost like caricature, like, type of image you get when you are looking from a distance, like you're only picking up a few dots of that person's, like that real person. Like when you're looking from that distance, like when I was back in China, I would of course see foreign people on the television and um, perhaps in documentaries or something like that, but all just looking from a tiny angle and portraying people of what they're doing in those like separate and distinct and short time periods or or even just um glimpse short glimpses of what they're what they think like or what their life is like and in comparison um when i was in new zealand like i'm meeting and experiencing and talking or sometimes even working with these people like they're real people they're like right beside me doing all this really human like thing like just like me as human like me as myself and a lot of the well, they do have those characteristics of whatever um, country they're from or whatever job they used to do. They have that. But as time passes, like the more you spend time with a person, you get to experience, like you get to see that person more like a person and less like a stereotypical um Italian or American or German or things like that, or um, teacher or um, salesman or things like you don't divide people into those categories anymore. Yeah, which is a huge benefit to the length of time to that point. You were saying like the more mm-hmm. time that you spend with somebody, the more that those um, divisions and boundaries start to go away. So I guess a huge advertisement there for the working visa and getting to like actually allow this this uh change in perspective to develop yeah and it's all because of um with that length of time like with that long time spent at a place or um with that diversity you've experienced you have what you have first, first and foremost is details like you're now um, like seeing with their own eyes, not through some television or through some kind of medium. You're now seeing with their own eyes the full details of this person, just this living person in front of you. So that, I guess that details is what makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's funny. Something that we recognize so often online and in life is that the people that take a negative stance on something, they make yeah. they make so much more noise than the people that have uh, just a positive stance on something. So it, it's, yeah. it can oftentimes feel like there's a lot more negativity out there than I think that mm-hmm. there really is because the negative yeah. people are the ones making the noise. Um, and similarly, I think that I'd say, what, like 95, 98% of who we are as people is like the exact same 
and there's only like two to five percent that really separates any of us and i mean like truly any of us you know and and yet we hold this huge magnify because like that's exactly what we are and that's who we do is we separate things it's like you're black you're white uh you're gay you're straight you're this you're that and we're so good at like separating things and putting things into categories and into piles because there's a certain amount of safety with that because then you can almost like assume how people will act and assume what they will do and um, yeah and that saves time too yeah it saves time it makes you feel better um then you know when the person acts in this way that that you feel like they'll act it's like, Makes okay, I'm more, smart and I know yeah, what I'm certain. talking about. And, and it makes me uh, just feel more confident walking around in my day to day that I can quote unquote read people. But mm-hmm. when it really comes down to it, those instances and those things that you're looking for that someone will do or will not do is really only going to be about two to 5% of the time. But you're just holding this huge magnifying glass up to that two to 5% of the time. The other yeah. 98% of the time, like if I were to go and spend time with a a person in Thailand who makes a hundred US dollars a year or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, that's let's say like a teenager, he's going to be really bummed up when it bummed out when his girlfriend breaks up with him. He's going to, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like he's going to feel yeah. like maybe awkward in high school. Like he's going to be having literally all of these exact same experiences that an American yeah. child would be having, that a Chinese child yeah. would be having, that um, that everyone has. And yet then when he does something quote unquote uh, Thai or something, I was like, oh, <laughs> see, I knew it. You were Thai. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, like the, the, the heart and soul of this person is 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 could be layered over your own heart and soul they're they're so so similar it's it's wonderful yeah because if you are looking like if you're not there in a real connection with the person if you are like watching learning about them through a medium what gets onto that media or television is it's not going to be how a normal thai teenager or chinese teenager spend his normal day-to-day high school time high school studies or whatever like it's not going to be those common things or normal human things it's gonna it's just gonna end up being those like um outrageous things or characteristic things and characteristic things are not like primarily what a person is like primarily we are just different like same yeah like we operate with the same kind of um, psychological principles and everything. Like, um, yeah, we're yeah. all just freaking trying to get by in the world. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we should lay off everyone a little bit anyways. Um, yeah, true. So, uh, so, I wanted to ask you, but then you ended up telling me as soon as we connected mm-hmm. here on Skype, which is fantastic. If if your experience of doing this makes you want to do it again and what your plans are and everything, and you said that you just got accepted to do one in Australia. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So Australia's is a little bit different than New Zealand's. You were saying you have to be on kind of like a, a wait list. And then there's a certain day where they let everyone know on the wait list, like you're, yes, you're eligible to apply, like go ahead and, and put your stuff through. Well, actually, it wasn't so much as a wait list. It's just, well, for New Zealand, you can send in, hand in your material via courier. Like, um, you send in by post, and you don't have to be there on a certain day to the visa application center. And the only difference with Australia is you have to be there on the on the appointed date. And in the, Australia? No, in a 
Visa Application Center and China. Okay, got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah, and with Australia, it's actually、um, there are f- more quotas for Chinese applicants than New Zealand, New- because obviously New Zealand is a much smaller country. New Zealand has one thousand quotas for Chinese applicants each year, while Australia has five thousand. But for Americans, you don't have to worry; we don't have quota limitation. <laughs> okay, and、uh, what was I gonna say, Monica?、Uh, Yeah, and it's really hard to get one. It's really hard for you to get for a Chinese citizen to get one in Australia. Yeah, just because of the sheer number of people wanting to apply and the limited places there is. So we basically crashes the website as soon as the quota <laughs> opens. Wow! And that、crazy. lasts for hours. Yeah. Well, that's great. You got in. That's so cool.、Yeah. If you're doing one of these.、Uh, Working holiday visa programs. Do any of the countries have a sort of、uh, support for the program in the sense that they try to hook you up with a job? Well, as far as I knew,、um, when I was in New Zealand, the support、uh, not so much from the government, but there are sort of agencies that can help you to get you settled in、uh, accommodation and. Probably even tour you around for a bit before they can hook you up with with some kind of job、um, suggestions. But、um, with my own experience and with a lot of working holiday、um, WHVers,、um, our experience is mostly you can just get a job from the on your own. Yeah, like, you don't need much help. Yeah, and because that's mostly because the information. You need is very accessible to anyone. It's either online or on a local bulletin board. Like I said, New Zealand is a pretty.、Um, most of the towns are small and intimate. You can、uh, get all the information from their bulletin board off the supermarket, or they have like weekly bulletin newspaper or. Something like that. They get all the jobs listed on there, and you can just apply in a normal way, or you can even walk in, like I did when I when I first went to Queenstown, and that's how I got my first job in New Zealand, and also my first ever job in my life. I walked in,、um, can't remember how many jobs, but、um, I ended up getting an interview and a job within three days after I, my arrival. That's awesome. That is so great. I love it.、Uh, yeah. Did you have any money saved up when you left for this? Do you think this is the kind of thing you could do with just no money saved whatsoever? I had a little bit、um, money saved up just for just to feel safer, like psychologically psychologically safer. But I didn't really need that,、um, as it turns out, because I was working for accommodation, which.、Uh, When I first got there, which didn't、uh, got a lot of money spent for me, and then I got these jobs and things, so it was all good. Cool, cool. All、yeah. right, Monica, let's、uh, finish this thing up. What sort of tips that we haven't already gone over would you give to people who would like to do something like this? Well, I guess、um, first of all, you have to get all their information. Like the relevant information for you before you got to apply for this, because you have to know what you're in for. Like a lot of the jobs, like、um, 
fruit picking or working in a farm or retail or service industry, like they're not really um, breezy. <laughs> they can be a little bit tiring and a little bit demanding physically. And although it is uh, overall to be a hugely beneficial, like a rewarding experience, but you don't want to over romanticize it. Like don't picture it as all good or poetic. Um, um, like, well, just get more information and be um, as realistic as possible in terms of expectation. And also, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to your point, I guess, it, working in a cafe in France as romantic as that is, is still Mm -hmm. working in a cafe and how much would you enjoy working in a cafe in your own hometown? Um, So, yeah, that's that's a very good point. You can get, um, well, enjoyment from your job um, and also you can meet a lot of different people and that could be really fun. But um, I guess um, for me, at least, working for accommodation is more fun because you can get a little bit a little bit more um less money spent and also you have the time to experience and talk to people and um explore the place and things like that so it really depends on how you like what your primary focus is if you want to save more money and then use that amount of money to uh explore the place like for months on end or you want to um limit like minimize your spending while like experiencing and exploring the place like if you divide your time into full-time working or full-time traveling or just travel and work at the same time it depends on your preference right right all right monica thank you so much this has been so interesting and i'm so happy that you wrote in about this hopefully we can get some people traveling around i um I will go ahead and have Monica send me the links to all the different uh, sort of articles and like the Wikipedia page and stuff like that that she used to research this sorts of these sorts of things. Yeah. So um, I will post those on the post for this episode on the Half Hour Intern site. So if you want some links to do some more research on your own, you can check that out. And uh, that is all I got for you. Thanks so much, Monica. Thanks so much for having me. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but... uh what are you going to do to help me out? Well, how about being a guest on Half Hour Intern? That is right. You could totally be a guest on this show. So if you have been sitting there listening to this show and thinking to yourself, you know what? I do this totally awesome thing for a living. Or you know what? I have this awesome hobby that I'm really, really passionate about and I would love to tell people about it. Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.